passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. We are live with Rewind and Dynamite. I am John Pollock. Side, Mr. Way Tin. Hello, Way. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Is it WrestleMania week yet? Um, officially. Uh, well, officially, yes. The week began on Monday, so we are officially into the week that encompasses WrestleMania. But I would say um, everything really starts tomorrow, essentially. It's when we get tomorrow. all the shows beginning. So it's quite a okay. few tomorrow. And then Friday is insane. And Saturday will be insane. And Sunday will be um almost insane. That's what it feels like. It'll all be insane. Yes. It's it's insane forever after this point, let's be honest. That is right. But we have you covered. This week, we have uh, multiple interviews up this week from the Post Daily News Show. We've had Dave Meltzer on, Brian Mann, and today a great chat with Ian Riccoboni discussing the state of Ring of Honor over the last several months going into Supercard of Honor this Friday and the other events that he is going to be a part of. Uh, with WrestleCon coming up this week. So if you want to go check out any of those interviews, uh, they're up on the YouTube channel, and we will be live Thursday at 1, Friday at 1, and we're going to be back here late Thursday night for Post Wrestling Cafe members as we will be chatting. Uh, Way will be doing a review of Bloodsport, and then we'll both discuss Spring Break Part 1, which just added a scramble match today. Oh, okay. Excellent. Great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all that extra content, of course. We also have the return of MCU later, talking about Moon Knight. I won't be around for this first episode, but we do have our primer. Uh, if you guys are interested in listening to that, that is available for free on the YouTube or at postwrestlingcafe.com. Yes, and uh, Post Wrestling Cafe members, they'll get bonus shows on Thursday night. Friday, we'll have the review of SmackDown and the Hall of Fame. And then Saturday, uh, we'll be splitting up duties. I'll be doing a review of Supercard of Honor for patrons. Way will be joined by John Pine to discuss part two of Spring Break. And of course, we will be live minutes after WrestleMania Saturday and WrestleMania Sunday. As opposed mm-hmm. to night one and two. They've, they've dropped night one and two. It's just WrestleMania Saturday, WrestleMania Sunday, which is probably more uh, explains it a bit better. Sure. Why not? They're big on their branding. If you hadn't noticed, way. I I I don't care either way. All right then. Well, on that note, let us get into Dynamite, the go home show for WrestleMania weekend, and the go home show for SuperCard of Honor. Why did Why didn't we call this WrestleMania Dynamite? Uh, they could have maybe that would have been a an interesting way to. We to, should call it that. Yeah that that would be a great uh, great lawsuit for them to uh, WrestleMania engage in. Rampage. Yes. Lots of uh, lots of ways that they could, uh, I'm sure, 
Have fun with that. Uh, but tonight's show took place from Columbia, South Carolina, at the Colonial Life Arena. And uh, a lot of the matches uh, rolled out today via Tony Khan, uh, via his Twitter appearances on Busted Open Radio. Now, that seemed to be his, uh, this is his rollout method now on Wednesdays. It's just sprinkle out matches throughout the day. People react in kind, and then hopefully they tune in at night. I'm thinking we don't preview Dynamite anymore on our uh, daily news updates because by one o'clock, I mean, he's only announced half the card, really. Still have the card to go. You know, it felt like today we, we announced, what? I guess Moxley, Danielson, had, or Moxley and Punk had their matches. But then, yeah, he, he threw out the Wheeler U to Brian and then the Undisputed Elite celebration on top of it. Yes, uh, we will get to all of that. But out first was CM Punk to a, a thunderous reception, a very hot crowd in Columbia on Wednesday night and followed by the acclaimed. And Max Caster came out for his rap uh, and we got references to the Will Smith slap, Hunter Biden, and probably the big line was that he'll make Punk crap his pants like he's a Z-Pack. Yeah, I know. A reference to the Cole Cabana podcast. Yes. When uh, when Punk uh, had tweeted, in fact, tweeted at the time in WWE that he had shit himself. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, really digging, digging in there. Yeah. So there you go. A Z-Pack reference. So Punk uh, comes into this match against Max Caster. And in his trunks. He was in trunks this week, yes, mm-hmm. uh, with a record of 14-1. and one. Are you aware of Max Caster's record? No, please tell me. 51-24. and 51-24. and 24. Okay, what is it this year? Is that Punk's record this year? or Punk, it said AEW record, so I feel he's oh. had, it feels like he's had more than 15 matches. Uh, it, I, I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah, anyway. Punk works the arm. Uh, of course, Caster has the uh, the tape over his shoulder, so that is what uh, Punk focused it on. And uh, man, I I did sense that that Punk is a bit influenced by Bret Hart in this match. I I did notice we got the we got the sternum first bump into the corner with the Irish whip, Manhattan drop, vertical suplex. I He's competing it, with Dax for for the love of a uh, Bret. So throughout this match, Punk is is selling his his lower back and would consistently. Uh, be selling that, uh, busts out a top rope Frankensteiner and then goes for the bulldog. A springboard gets stopped when Bowens grabs his leg from the floor and then Caster attempts a springboard leg drop from across the ring and is just able to connect with, with Punk. This was a this was a sizable jump for Max Caster. This was like three quarters across the ring. It was, yeah. I mean, Shane McMahon worthy. He misses the mic drop, and then Punk goes to lift him for the pile driver, and he needs two attempts and hit, hits the pile driver, and then applies the Anaconda device in seven minutes and seven seconds. And I, I really like this ending here. And if this was intentional, like Punk, it totally made sense that he would struggle with this pile driver. He's grabbing the back after hitting it, and that was what he sold throughout the, the whole match. So um, it was a nice match. This wasn't at the level of. The, the Dax match last week, but nonetheless, another uh, you know, fun opener involving Punk, and he continues to win, as he would reference in the post-match. I think anytime you have CM Punk wrestling on a show, it still feels somewhat special, and um, I think expectations are you know high for CM Punk to compete at this level and to deliver at something that's at least entertaining, if not you know something we'll be talking about the, at, at the end. And I mean, this was more of a serviceable match, but I thought it was very good. You know, it continued, I would say, what felt like last week they were establishing 
speaking of Brett, like more tempered old school type of vibe um, that he achieved with Dax. And I thought he continued here. What What, what is impressive about um, these punk performances are, are again, not flashy moves, but it, to me, it's little things like being able to successfully pull off a flare flip in the corner. Great pace, good cardio. He was not out of breath at all for the promo afterwards. So He's looking good, and you know he's uh, looking to enter the rankings, which as of now he's still yet to enter. At least according to the uh, update that just they, they just released two hours ago for their official rankings. Yes, the the rankings are out uh, for for this week, and yeah, Punk is still not in the top five. Yeah, maybe after this one he is, but I mean he's not going to be challenging for the title for a few weeks, so he doesn't but, need to be. But the rankings should also maybe give us a sense of. Some of his to beat. some of his matches coming up. You've got Ricky mm-hmm. Starks, Powerhouse Hobbs, Lance Archer, Adam Cole, Sammy Guevara that are make up your your top five. Yeah, yeah. Some of these things will will you know um, sh- move around as as certain people lose and certain people win. But yeah, we can expect at least probably one of these four or five to be a punk opponent in the future. So Shivani got into the ring and asks, "What did you mean by that belt reference last week?" Uh, th- this was right up there with uh, Megan Morant asking what uh, what 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 Sasha and Naomi meant by uh, g- going for the titles. So Punk says, "Tony, you are smarter than that." And he asks South Carolina what he meant by that reference. And he doesn't know who the champion will be in a week, whether it be Hangman Page or Adam Cole. There's gray in my beard, and by the time I'm done here, there will be more gray. There are scars on my head, and by the time I'm done in AW, there will be more scars. But when I'm done in AEW, I will be world's champion. Mm-hmm. Great little promo here from Punk. It came right after the match. And again, not out of breath. Delivered it with full confidence and determination that you wish every babyface could have. Um, and it basically kind of set him on course for this new storyline that he's got. His quest for gold. You know, so I think we're all expecting, you know, double or nothing to be that end point where he might finally get that challenge. So we're still a bit of a, of a ways away. In a company that does not uh, occupy uh, Sting or have Sting on their roster, I think we would be marveling a lot more at Punk doing like this level of work at, at 43. And in a weird way that that his his legacy in MMA may be just the fact that this is a guy that could have gone on for seven years and done movies and comics. Instead, he took part in something where he got into the greatest shape of his life and probably is a huge reason of why he has come back and is working at this level is that he pushed his body to unimaginable lengths to prepare uh, for mixed martial arts and train consistently in the, in that time period, unless he was hurt. It's an interesting question. Yeah. What if, I mean, you know, speaking of comic books, like what if he never went into MMA and instead went to a Hollywood career full time? I don't think it would have been as this seamless of a transition back that you would have been seeing him work at this high of a level, um, you know, if he had not been in some kind of like physical field during during that time away. But that was as much a a lifestyle for him as it was uh, something he was pursuing in, in MMA. Very possible. Then we go to Alex Marvez, who was in the back with MJF and FTR, and FTR are decked out in uh, Scott Hall-inspired NWO gear, and Mark Sterling is hanging up pictures of Wardlow for security. Now, did you get the reference here? No. This was pretty much a play off of the Hall of Fame ceremony in 2015, 
and the pictures they had around the building to not allow Scott Steiner into the Hall of Fame ceremony. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. I think that was clearly the inspiration for this. And so they, they had these plastered at like ringside and not to allow Wardlow in. And MJF explained, we do not say his name. He doesn't exist in this universe anymore. And said the pinnacle are moving on up. Dax says that uh, he tells MJF that you're our friend, but Wardlow's our friend too. MJF says, you guys are family to me. And he hates to tell them this, but Wardlow used to talk a lot of shit about you guys. And they reluctantly put all their hands in for a, uh, a group celebration here and uh, dissension arising here among the Pinnacle members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, they're certainly hitting it pretty hard that, you know, FTR are struggling to want to stay in the Pinnacle. It, it's almost so thick that I'm, I'm leaning towards us getting an FTR swerve and that this is all for show. But whatever the case, I mean, I'm intrigued. You know, that is the point, isn't it? To make you guess. And I'm guessing. Jay Lethal and John Moxley. Lethal comes out and he's doing his, uh, his macho man mannerisms on, on the way to the ring. And at the beginning of the match, Lethal offers his hand, but Moxley slaps it away. This crowd was very hot for both. They were chanting both ways here with, with Moxley and Lethal. And, uh, they had a, a very entertaining match here. Moxley stopped a figure four, sending Lethal outside. And he walks up with his hands behind his back and just is daring Lethal to strike him. And they get into this big forearm exchange. Uh, Suplex is hit by, by Moxley. And then they're fighting on the top. And Moxley gets crotched on the top rope, uh, leading to a Lethal Tope Suicida as they go through the break. Moxley kills him with this inside lariat, inside out lariat, and then goes for the pile driver, but Lethal punches at the knee. So Moxley was affected by the knee for the rest of the way. We see a lethal combination for a two count. Moxley tries for the paradigm shift, but again, the knee is bothering him. Lethal injection, he leaps into a rear naked choke, but then Lethal rolls on top for a two count, lands a brain buster, and comes across the ring with the elbow drop. And this was a near fall that this crowd bought, that Jay Lethal was going to beat John Moxley. So that that's a hell of a feat to accomplish. Uh, I did not imagine they would get to that level in this match, but it was great. And then Moxley counters a figure four with a small package and leads to... Uh, more of a DDT than the paradigm shift, but nonetheless, the same move and uh, gets the win while selling the knee afterwards and then offers his hand to Jay Lethal after a hard fought match. Lethal's frustrated, uh, but they shake hands. I, th- I thought this was a great match. Great match. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe this is like two weeks in a row now that we've had Jay Lethal matches in two weeks in a row that we've had Jay Lethal losses where I would say, you know, we kind of come out of it thinking more about Jay Lethal than we do about the opponents. And I felt like that was the case here, even against somebody like Mox. He, you know, Mox won, but to me, the focus was Lethal's facial expressions afterwards. He ends up earning, I think, more of the fans through the close underdog performance. Uh, You know, I mean, he's coming in here, somebody who's not featured against John Moxley, a former champion and, and, and one of its biggest stars. And he almost got a victory. Um, so I think they're setting up a story and a transformation for Lethal through these consecutive losses. I mean, he was asking in his promo, you know, do I have to go that route? Do I have to cheat in order to, is there another way, you know, for me to be successful without, um, you know, um, turning to the dark side, essentially. And maybe this is leading him towards um, an answer, um, you know, one way or another. So we'll see what the follow-up might be for next week. No mention of Supercard of Honor 
although like he did go for handshakes like at the beginning you know like like the code of honor of course which which i found somewhat interesting we did get one mention of the show later on during the danielson match but that is pretty much what it was uh left to then we had a feature on Marina Shafir, just focusing on AEW dark highlights, and this would uh, play itself later, and we can go to it, that she will be Jade Cargill's 30th opponent. And this kind of felt like this is our call-up for Marina Shafir from uh, YouTube to the main roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we, I mean, we're recording this right after the show ended, so I don't know if there's an official graphic for Marina Shafir yet, but... You know, from what I've seen of her since she's come out of the NXT Performance Center system, I've been really impressed. She's got very much that just kind of shooter aspect about her that um, she's really honed in on. And I I can't wait to see her in the mix, you know. Um, we kind of have somebody like that in a, in, a, in a Layla Hirsch right now, but I... I, I might even prefer Shafir from what I've seen of her, so I'm, I'm really excited. You know, putting her against Jade Cargill is an interesting one because... Um, what what happens you know it doesn't make sense to you know put some hype behind a person only to have her just be another number for jade cargill so can shafir be somebody it's hard for me to think that she'll beat jade cargill but can she at least you know put a dent in that record could it be a a, a you know no contest or a draw or something like that yeah i think at least threaten her and i mean they're building this up this 30th win as being something significant and I mean, it's kind of smart. They can make every 10 matches feel like it's it's some big accomplishment because of a zero uh, at the end of it if you if you space them out. So I think that's kind of the story here. And you you know, th- this is a, a show that I think that you can get a lot out of out of a loss. Um, it's not so much uh, like a, a negative, as we just saw with with Jay Lethal. If you have a story in mind and somewhere to go with her. And this is like this this submission machine that Jade Cargill. It's a different style of opponent that she has to contend with. FTR against the Gun Club. This is number five versus number one. Yes, the Gun Club are the number one ranked tag team, uh, assisted by Billy Gunn on commentary. MJF came out for commentary, and Excalibur had to promote uh, coming up plugs. uh, He had to plug Rat in the Kitchen. I don't know what this show is, but the concept is six cooks, one crook. Yeah, I've I've seen some previews of this. I guess on uh, during Rampage or Dynamite or something. I, I I think it's like supposed to be a cooking show where everybody's supposed to work together, but one person is sabotaging everybody, and they're supposed to pick who that person is. It it actually sounds kind of interesting. Are they putting like poison into the meal? Like, how do you sabotage the meal? Well, you just be a bad cook. You know? Ha <laughs> salmonella poisoning. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a fun. Like I I don't know. I'm I'm mildly curious, but not enough to watch this. But I thought this is a hell of a premise for for a show. You imagine pitching this to somebody? It's called Rat in the Kitchen. You know, every every show concept has been done to death at this point, so we need we need something new. We had chance of ass boys, and then they just got behind FTR. The guns are on the floor, and Cash gets yanked down, and Billy sucker punches him and yells, "Suck that, bitch!" As Colton and Austin continue the attack, we go through the picture-in-picture, picture, and Billy is continuing to take cheap shots at Cash while Aubrey is holding Dax back. So they had to heat on Cash for a long time until the tag was made, and Dax is in, short-arm clothesline to Austin, and then he gets snapped on the top rope. There's a struggle for the vertical suplex, and Colton pulls at Dax's leg and lands on top, but Dax still manages to get out. And this is when Wardlow arrives in the lobby, 
and he comes through destroying security, including one poor dude who was supposed to go through a table with a power bomb. The table did not get the alert ahead of time. And my God, did that suck. Um, but Wardlow makes his way out to the arena. And I've got to say, the visual of this and just the blocking of it all, man, Wardlow was like this machine coming through the crowd. This crowd was going insane for this dude. And he's just like sending dudes flying that are getting in his way. Like I thought this was like a cool um, way to introduce Wardlow coming through the crowd. I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, this is not a complaint, but more so maybe an observation. They seem to be so concerned about, like, having invisible cameras in the back. Yet, what is a camera doing there waiting for this person, you know, breaking their way into the arena and following them from the entrance to the, to the arena? And I'm saying this because I don't think anybody gives a shit about it. And therefore, I don't think anybody would give a shit about this invisible camera that they constantly worry about in the back either. Um, maybe, maybe they were, uh, they were doing B-roll of their brand new merchandise out at the stands. It, like hooked up to the live feed. Yeah. They said, go, go, put us live. We've got an intruder here. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Can you well, imagine no, if this happened really at cool. the, at the hall of fame, Scott Steiner just showing up? Uh, I, I, I'm guessing you mean this year's hall of fame? No, no. The one, uh, seven years ago. I think that's how he should make his entrance. He's just be breaking through. That should be the speech on Saturdays. Rick is up there alone. And then we cut to the lobby and there is, uh, Scott Steiner coming out. Be great. Yeah. So Wardlow makes his way in. And finally, it's like, it's like a dozen security guys finally stop him. And the numbers are too many. And they, they take him away. And the action is just kind of stopped in the ring. It's like, what, what are we doing here? And th- this would play into the, the post-match here. Dax, Dax gets sent into Billy on the apron, and there's a sunset flip attempt. Billy holds onto Austin's arms, but Cash leapfrogs over, nailing Billy, so sends him off, and this turns into the big rig as they hit Austin with it in 11 minutes and 27 seconds. A pretty uh, elaborate sequence here to end the match. And then uh, MJF came in. He's applauding them. FDR is pissed, noting that your problems with Wardlow nearly cost us the match. And they eventually cool down and left together. But uh, it could be going the direction you think way where this is all um, uh, misdirection and FTR is still going to be aligned with, with the pinnacle. But they are certainly teasing this this turn for FTR. They are teasing it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we're left to wonder. And I, I, either way, I, I'm very much entertained. So, um, you know, in this match, I, we got to see FTR wrestle as baby faces, which I, is not something I remember um, seeing that like, I don't know if I... Did they ever wrestle as baby faces in, in the WWE? I mean, it was predominantly heel. I mean, they, they may have had Have some. they had ever, had, like, had a baby face run, at least on the main roster? Like, I'm trying to even... The Revival's main week. roster run is not one that is uh, easily accessible in my catalog. So, I mean, it, it seemed like a rare occurrence of seeing them actually, you know, take the hot tag and, you know, uh, uh, play play babyface in peril. And, and they were, of course, tremendously entertaining. Um they were able to adjust their styles to be very fan friendly and exciting and sympathetic. And I thought the gun club were fantastic as well. I think these guys are such goofs, but they just, they bump around, they look ridiculous and it's, it is fun. It is fun to watch this group uh, with with Billy to get, get heat on the, on on the baby faces. Um, There's, they're an enjoyable team. Ever since they've turned heel, they they've just really been able to hone in on this old O'Doyle rules frat boy energy 
that is so incredibly strong within them, and I think it's perfect for these guys. Team. Should never be baby faces. They should just never, never be baby faces. This is like Logan well, Paul being a baby face. Well, this is what happens. I mean, you get over as a heel so much that you know when it's time to 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 turn you baby face, like an FTR, people want to actually cheer for you because they they respect you. Um, so you know, never say never for the Gun Club. But I'm really enjoying their trajectory so far. Powerhouse Hobbs has comments for Keith Lee. He says that Rampage is me and Stark's show. And Lee is going to bask in defeat this Friday. So it's Powerhouse Hobbs and Keith Lee in the main event of Rampage. And we'll go through the matches that they have announced for for Friday's show. Then the Jericho Appreciation Society is in the back. (laughs) Jericho says, we are the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. How that line has not been used more often. uh, What a a great gem to just uh, utilize. It's targeting, I would say, a pretty specific audience that you know, many of which are are watching this this product right now in AEW. But that is, of course, the line from the signature of the WWE. Um, I think like mid nineties. The, the signature, yeah. Like, but but from the mid nineties here, we're oh, talking yeah. about, yeah. You know, so so I, I I wonder how how many. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people certainly listening to this podcast, but maybe watching AEW would have gotten in. And I look forward to seeing more more uh, lines like this, you know, that, that might creep its way into the Jericho Appreciation Society. Well, they've given them no shortage of options. Mm-hmm. Jericho says, uh, being the influencer isn't a gimmick, it's the truth, and that wrestlers and dirt sheet writers want to join the Jericho Appreciation, Appreciation Society, but no one can, and those that want to can GFY. Still, still trying with that GFY, and it works I, so much better now. I it like so it much now. better now. It's, I like it. Yeah. Um, Daniel Garcia, the man has added a blue Kangol hat to his wardrobe. This this guy has really worked well with, with this group so far. I I yeah. really like it. I didn't know what kind of a fit Daniel Garcia would be, but you can see he is he is all in on the on this group. Mm-hmm. He says that we future endeavored. John Silver and Alex Reynolds, along with Santana and Ortiz, and that rat, Eddie Kingston. And Cool Hand Ange, he's got an idea, and he has Daddy Magic go to check behind the curtain. No Santana, no Ortiz, and no Kingston. Hager screams that they're not coming back. So he opens the opposite side, and he opens the curtain, and there they are, just standing there, and they attack. And they brawl in the back, they come out to the ring, Kingston and Jericho enter the ring. Kingston hits the Urican onto Jericho. And then Garcia gets drilled by a boot from Santana. Daddy Magic is tossed into the steps. And then they go to hit the street sweeper on Jericho, but is stopped by Ange and Haggard. I've fully embraced these names, by the way. I, I enjoy them. Daddy Magic is the former Matt Lee. Uh, right? Yes, Matt Menard. And then Cool Hand Ange, Angelo Parker, <laughs> is the former Jeff Parker. Amazing. Okay. Good little surprise. Yeah, sorry, please. Oh, yeah. It just then then the numbers uh, took over here and Hager slammed Kingston down. He was dropping elbows and Ange and Hager uh, delivered their own street sweeper onto Ortiz. Garcia puts a uh, Kingston in the sharpshooter as Jericho attacks him with the bat. And then Jericho takes his studded belt and starts whipping Kingston before hitting him with a Judas effect. So th- this was like a pretty big beat down here. The only thing I was waiting for was for Jericho to get onto the microphone and state that Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz might need to be taken to a local medical facility. Ooh, 
Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, they could have so much fun with all, all of this stuff, and, and I look forward to it. I, I thought it was a nice little return for Kingston and Proud, Proud and Powerful. You know, they, they were met, of course, with tremendous ovation from this audience. Um, and I thought, you know, it was a pretty lengthy beatdown, but I think you had at least a few aims from it. You know, you needed the baby faces to get their shine, but ultimately had the heels come up on top with their extra two-man advantage. So we've defined the lines of these factions at this point, and we wait to see what sort of reinforcements um, Kingston and Proud and Powerful will bring in. Yeah, and whether they go through some of these pairings before they go to the ultimate multi-man tag, um, there's still a lot here. Like, yeah, you would think Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz uh, find some additional numbers. Um, so th- this is one that I can see playing out for some time. Like, the, you, c- you can do a few of these pairings before you get to the big match at the end of this all. And, and maybe this is something that you you look at. You're coming up on a year since you did Blood and Guts, and you mm-hmm. certainly associate that with with Jericho and formerly the Inner Circle. Uh, maybe maybe that's kind of what this, this gets uh, built towards. Maybe even a stadium stampede. Well, it's I definitely see a stadium stampede. I've seen people suggest that maybe that's where that this whole Hardy, Sting, and Darby thing builds up to with the uh, with the Andrade. Is it the Andrade family office now? Is that the official name of the group? I, I'm not sure if it's actually been defined, but yeah, you would. They could so. certainly shelve that name and come up with something fresh. I think so. So a good segment here, a good good beat down here, and lots of ways to take this to the in the next chapter. Uh, then they did the segment with uh, Cargill and Sterling. Originally, they were going to go with Leva Bates, but Cargill refused to take this joke as her 30th opponent. So option two is Marina Shafir. Cargill's never heard of her. So Sterling explains who she is, and Cargill just says that she has not heard of this Marina Shafir. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, um, would you pair Shafir with anybody? Like a Like a mouthpiece? Or, or or just, you know, another uh, wrestler or another faction that's there? Um, I mean, the faction that would um, possibly work would be your, your Blackpool Combat Club, wouldn't it? That'd be great. Have a female That'd in there? Awesome. That'd and, be really cool. You know, Re- or, of course... Regal has, you know, a bit of a history with, with Shafir through, like, NXT. You could, you could make or of a... Of course, um, the Undisputed Elite. You know, they don't have Roddy, but they do have a, a strong... Okay, yeah. So there, she's got some options. Uh, then we had Wheeler Yuta against Brian Danielson with William Regal on commentary. William Regal is quickly becoming my favorite commentator. He was fantastic in this match, mm-hmm. and uh, Wheeler Yuta should be just so thankful for this man. He was, he was. I just thought great here, um, and, and this match was excellent. So this was where we got the lone plug for Supercard of Honor that Yuta will be challenging Josh Woods for the pure title this Friday night. And Regal noted that he is interested in watching that contest on Friday night. So Regal will be firing up Fight TV and uh, and watching the pay-per-view on, on Friday night. I guess th- did he be, be kind of out of himself that he's not watching Rampage on Friday? Well, I think he did, unless unless the that match takes place after. I mean, the guy's probably watching the, the, the live taping. Uh, he's probably got two screens. So they're a chance for Yuta, and he starts smiling at this. Regal calls that a mistake to be taking in that that praise. So um, there's kicks in the corner, and then Yuta cuts off Danielson, and he ties up Danielson's leg and then bridges on his neck, and Danielson is getting frustrated and has to get to the rope. Uh, there's these heavy chops and kicks from Danielson in the corner. Rolling elbow is ducked, and there's a bridging German by Yuta, 
And Regal is pointing out just these little um, counters that Yuta is utilizing and compares this. He's utilizing. <laughs> oh, God. What have I done to you? Uh, Regal compares this experience watching this match to when he first saw Brian Danielson 22 years ago uh, when they would have been in Memphis together. So, I mean, Regal just had, like, the credibility that he brings and Yuta's performance. I just thought this did a, a great deal for, for Wheeler Yuta, the whole package. Danielson eventually ducks, drops him with the Busaiku knee and just stomps away. The crowd is cringing at the stomps. Gotch-style pile driver and then hits the LaBelle lock and the referee waves it off in 10 minutes and 10 seconds. This was excellent. This was my favorite match on the show. Agreed. Mine too. I, I thought... You know, not just for the technical wrestling here, but for the wonderful storytelling. I think they've gone about building Wheeler Yuta's appeal to this audience as an underdog really well uh, by just having him not give up against these incredibly established, tough men. You know, he's earning more and more of his tormentor's respect every single week, and I think it's been a wonderful story to track. Um, They gave him a lot here. They gave him an escape out of a cattle mutilation, having him spit at Daniel Bryan when he was about to get stomped, I, I, I think they're sh- trying to show that Yuta is catching up to Moxley and Danielson in terms of both technique and aggression, which I think are probably the two main ingredients, you know, to for, for entry into the Blackpool Combat Club. So they, they were almost booking this match as if it was like Yuta's audition, his second audition, you know, into the Blackpool Combat Club. And Judging by Regal's comments on commentary, like he he kept putting him over. So I, I would think that this might be enough to earn him the spot. I think Regal's going to probably be there on Friday night watching this mm. match. Yeah, maybe maybe induct him. Put, put him on commentary or just have him scouting there. Like I could certainly see it, w- it would make sense that that Regal is is there. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. So then we had a a video for Andrade and Darby, uh, calling it the main event for tonight and how Darby has wanted this match. He's had to go through all the different members, but tonight he gets Andrade. And then it was time for the championship celebration with Adam Cole and Red Dragon. Uh, They come out and they've got a box labeled party supplies as Kyle opens it and these balloons come out. I thought, I thought maybe Okada was in there. Um, maybe, maybe in the future, no red balloons. I don't think no just black and gold. Yeah, yeah, we just got, uh, yeah, it was the gold balloons, so, uh, black and gold, so, haha. And Cole says that Hangman and Jurassic Express are not here tonight because they're ashamed of how easily we took these belts and clarifies we did not steal them because you can't steal something that belongs to you. AEW needs a new era and a new crew to run the show 
and they are the three best wrestlers on the planet. And Kyle O'Reilly then takes the mic and goes to address his haters who say that they don't have enough wins or are high enough in the rankings. And he starts to just stumble here. And he just has to say that he had too much champagne. I've got to sit down. And this was a little concerning. Like he looked very pale here and just seemed like he got lost in the promo and just like sat down. And I thought, is this like a bit where we're going to get a punchline later? But that was not the case. And they just moved on with the segment. I, I had no idea what this was. Yeah, I wondered if it might have been a, a bit too, or maybe he just forgot what he was about to say and decided to improv this to cover up. I'm not really sure. Um, either way, it, it felt like a bit of an awkward piece of TV. You know, um, it, 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 if it was the intent, it certainly didn't seem to connect. Yeah, so anyway, hopefully it was like nothing serious or anything, but it just seemed like he got got lost here on live television and just handed it over and Fish and Cole finished the promo and then it leads to Hangman driving out in a Tesla with bullhorns on on the on the car. So he comes a out Tesla with bullhorns. Wow, it's, it, that feels incredibly ironic. That's definitely a custom order. And he attacks both Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus show up along with Christian Cage, and it leads to Cole being thrown into the ring. But he ducks the buckshot lariat and his back body dropped onto O'Reilly and Fish on the floor after all of the members brawled. So uh, continuing with this, and I thought that we were going to get an announcement of a title match because Punk said earlier in the promo, I don't even know who will be champion next week. Um, But that was not the case. They did not announce any kind of a title match which you would think they're going they should hold off probably to like battle of the belts or something anyway. That that's what I'm I'm thinking, you know. Um when is that, John? Do you know? That's uh, uh like belts. April 15th, something like that. It's mid-April. Okay, so we're still like, you know, pretty much like kind of 2 weeks away uh uh from something like that. Okay, I mean, I think they they could hold it off till then, you know, do a number of of matches and and mixing and matching of of people to to get to that point. Sure. Um I think it's it was a decent build for a, a TV f- um, f- level feud. You know, again, I, I don't know what's up with Kyle O'Reilly. Maybe we'll find out shortly after this podcast and hope hope he's okay. I have to say, um, to me, it's it still feels like a feud between Cole and Paige that is yet to feel like the most important thing on this show, um, which is somewhat unfortunate because it's a title main title program. You know, it, it's still overshadowed by several programs, including what's happening with Mox and Danielson and Punk. And now Wardlow and MJF even. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, I I'm kind of interested to see where Cole goes after this because this almost feels like it's just a holdover from the last title match. It's it's one where it just feels it's it's keeping Hangman busy until they're ready for the bigger build towards Double or Nothing, and that's a tough spot to be in for mm. Adam Cole, where I don't think many people are uh, buying into this being any kind of a of a of a threat to Hangman's title reign. Uh, but yeah, Cole is kind of just in, in an awkward spot, I would say right now on, on the program, like he's featured. It's not like he's being forgotten about. It's just, it just seems like it's trying to find the right fit for him on the show where he's kind of bounced around from the young buck stuff now to red dragon. And he's sort of this, this placeholder opponent while we wait until the bigger opponent comes for the pay-per-view, which presumably is punk. Shivani interviewed Thunder Rosa in front of the crowd, and Thunder Rosa just cut a promo about scratching and clawing her way to this women's title. She wants to be the face of all of women's wrestling, and whenever she gets to the top, there's always bullies trying to take her down. 
pillars get taken down, foundations don't fall, and challenges anyone to come at her and addresses Nyla Rose. She's here to fight, and she wants to face the best in the world. So maybe, maybe that's what Punk was referring to, the, the title belt. Maybe it was this one. Rosa versus Punk? I think that would be a fun match. Yeah. Someday. FTR yeah. were... were uh, I, by, the, by the way, this Thunder Rosa thing, I mean, I don't know if it was always the plan for her to get attacked last week and then for her to cut her post-match victory celebration speech this week. Not exactly sure what happened. I mean, it would, it would probably float a bit better, of course, like if, if she got to do this and then got attacked last week. But who knows what happened? Maybe it got cut for time. Either way, I'm... I'm happy that she got at least got this moment. You know, she she got this sort of like she needed to be able to speak in order to, I think, really cement herself as the face of the division. And I thought she achieved that here. FTR did a promo in the back. And some people say they take themselves too seriously. Um, and they do, which I think is another Brett reference. That that was always the that's what everyone would, would say about Brett taking himself too seriously. They said we that do. Is so obscure, though. And so um I don't know. That one's not wait, as wait. This as... this whole program is about obscure references that they are able to. Yeah, explain, yeah I so. suppose. But like last week, that you had the pink light. You know, like respect is 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 a thing that Brett has said in all of his promos. Best there is. Like that was pretty blatant. You know, this one you might have to stretch a bit more for it. Well, they. Uh, I'm just pointing that out. I didn't even think it was like necessarily there on on purpose. But nonetheless. Uh, they make history. They're the AAA champions. They're going to become the ROH champions on Friday. So I guess that was a, this was a more subtle reference. And they're going to win the AEW tag titles again. They came here to build a legacy in AEW, and they will not settle for second place. And they issue the challenge for a second match with the Young Bucks, who I guess the Young Bucks are now just having uh, their second matches now with these teams. We're going to get top flight on Friday, and then this FTR match, which... Uh, will be interesting because the Young Bucks are in the main event of that Triple Mania card where um, they presumably could end up winning those those tag titles, and that makes that that main event a lot more intriguing if you have the tag titles attached to them. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Hmm. The Bunny comes out for the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament Qualifier. So they were referring to it as this name instead of like the Owen Hart Cup. Yeah, yeah, I, I noticed that. Uh, so the Owen Hart, the Owen tournament. Hart Foundation tournament qualifying match. That's a mouthful, right? Yes, I guess they want to have the foundation's name in there, and maybe maybe it's not even a cup. Maybe it's a trophy or a plaque. Yes. Um. So there you go. We've we've got the, we've got the real Hart Foundation. Uh, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that would. I mean, that probably went into the naming naming of the foundation. Possible. Um, so the bunny's out and then the mystery opponent is revealed as Tony storm. So a very good reaction for her coming out. They also showed Jade Cargill's baddie section. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what this was, uh, leading to. Um, well on this show, well, nothing like, are they, are they wrestlers or not? Uh, I, is that what she explained? They were, I'm not sure. Like, I mean, are she they made like reference to this in the back models? Uh, they were just, Yeah. They're just kind of okay. hanging out, watching. They they just mm. travel to wrestling shows, I guess, and and seat and sit and watch wrestling. Oh, well, let's see what happens. So the match begins. Storm drills her with a forearm. The crowd is behind Storm, and then Bunny lands a knee from the apron. After the break, uh, Tony builds up with, with a lariat, headbutt, and then a running hip attack. She goes with a fisherman suplex, only gets a two count, 
And then Bunny catches her with a Death Valley driver, and then the comeback sees Storm with a German suplex, and then Storm Zero to qualify for the tournament in eight minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah, uh, you know, Tony Storm came out here. Uh, she looked really emotional, and I, I haven't really heard her speak at, at all uh, about her, her exit, but I imagine she's she's been through a great deal of emotions over the, over the last few months and leading up to and after her exit. So it felt like, you know, her walking out here, um, felt like, you know, uh, I, I, I'm sure a, a big moment for her just to kind of experience that crowd again and to recognize that this was a crowd that, um, you know, treated her like a star, I thought. But something occurred, I would say, maybe after the entrance where like it felt like the crowd would definitely dipped and, and didn't really kind of carry on maybe the same um, level of interest that I thought they would have. I thought the match was not the best but i don't think it was bad by any means so i at least you know was expecting maybe a better reaction here um but in either case it's it's only one night and i thought overall like they gave storm a great reaction upon entrance and they gave her a great reaction when she won the match and i i think you know even though we always talk about the men's division being so overloaded right now i can't really say the same for the women's division division aew especially if you're somebody coming out of wwe with um, I think a good level of, of potential and, and you know, at least like on the underground, good level of star power, which I think Storm completely fits. So, you know, we look forward to hopefully future matches with like her and Britt Baker, like her and Thunder Rosa, even like Karashita, Nyla Rose. Like these are all potentially big matches for somebody who could lead your division in Tony Storm. And other ones that are out there, like your your Ember Moons, your Nixon Newells, like there, there's a lot of great female talent out there that I'm very curious to see what this women's division looks like six months from now. Um, I, I thought Storm looked good here. I think the negative was that you're going almost nine minutes this late in the show um, with, with a character in the bunny that, listen, the, the audience does not see the bunny as as a big star. So I think that's a big ask of your audience that's been up for most of the show. And they had a big response for Tony and it, and it, it went up and down throughout the match but that's this is a tough spot to go nine minutes with someone like the bunny who is is not featured on on dynamite in any regular fashion i also want to clarify here people in the chat room are saying that jade asked for fans to show themselves in pictures and she picked the ones she liked best to come out to the show so uh looks like it's some sort of fan interaction social media thing so that's that's kind of cool okay you want, should, should we apply can we be uh, Jade's baddies? Uh, and what? Get front row tickets. I, I don't want to go to the show. I'm okay. You'd probably want to. What? what I'm going to go, go, go travel to, to the show when I can just watch your, it here? I don't, well, don't want to I mean, fly all the way to South Carolina. You want to be able to find a place to take your notes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know if, if we would be chosen. We go to the back. Tony is with Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose. And uh, Vicky, I don't know what she said. I couldn't hear a. A word she said. The, they had some audio issues here. Then Nyla took over. She's the foundation and cornerstone of this company. And she's not going to be a footnote in this industry. And that Thunder Rosa has a death wish. Well, I'm your genie. Abracadabra, bitch. I thought she sounded great. Nyla Rose yeah. had a good promo here. I don't know what Vicky said. She may have had the greatest promo ever. I don't know what it was what what was uttered. Yeah, I, I don't know either, but. Yeah, you know, we have Nyla here just um I think she's always very dependable. Like she uh, you know, uh, she's an impressive win for anybody, any baby face and all she really has to do is come out here and cut a promo like this and we already have the match ready. So for Rampage on Friday night, 
Opening the show, and they made an emphasis that this would open the show, the Young Bucks versus Top Flight. This is a rematch from November of 2020, uh, which was a terrific match. Really, you know, spotlighted Top Flight immediately in the company. Another Owen Hart qualifier was Sky Blue taking on Jamie Hayter. Uh, the previously announced six-man with Stu Grayson, Evil Uno, and uh, Fuego Del Sol against the House of Black. Chris Statlander will speak. Scorpio Sky will speak. And... In the main event, Keith Lee versus Powerhouse Hobbs. So, you know, a um, I, I would say this is above average Rampage lineup when you got the Young Bucks and you got a Keith Lee match. And that House of Black Dark Order six man should be very good. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, like the Bucks are, are probably on a, on the highest level in terms of star power. And we haven't seen them, it feels like, in, in a bit. So um, that does feel a bit more elevated than usual. But, I mean... I would say a lot of people's attentions aren't going to be on Rampage at that time. It's going to be a tough night for for wrestling fans and Rampage probably several slots down the priorities uh, this week. And the main event, Andrade El Idolo taking on Darby Allen. Sting came out with him and then walked to the back and Darby skateboards down the ramp and is met with a Tornillo dive by Andrade. And he throws Darby over this table and he just glides into the guardrail. Andrade then runs and misses him going into the steps and Darby fights back with the skateboard, including a double stomp using it off the apron and Darby gets lifted and he walks across the floor with him and drops him onto the side of the steps. This is yeah. this is a crazy pre-match and then they finally roll into the ring. The bell rings uh, Andrade lifts up Darby turns it into a code red and they get into this slap fight that this audience goes nuts for. The final one drops Darby, but Andrade plummets to the ground as well. So the crowd is applauding this. Bryston takes away Andrade's belt. So Darby uses his belt to tie up Andrade's legs and trip him into the corner. Flips over into the stunner. There's a crucifix bomb, and he moves to the Fujiwara armbar and Andrade. When Jose, the translator, runs down, he's attacked by Sting. Blade and Butcher come down to attack Sting, and Darby hits a high cross onto all of them off the corner post to the floor. Uh, but then returns, and Andrade catches him with a pump handle into a buckle bomb and hits El Idolo to pin Darby in 10 minutes and 31 seconds. This was a car crash. It was, yeah. There were a lot of shenanigans at the end, and I have to say, like, it was a good match, like Darby Allen, and I think Andrade looks huge, you know? So he played, like, he played sort of like the monster against the underdog in Darby really well in this match, but... I have to say the finish felt kind of unsatisfying to go off air with like all these shenanigans. I, I kind of got House of Torture vibes coming off of it. But of course, it was all done to set the Hardys pop. But usually, like I feel for AEW, the standard is h- higher in that. Like, I don't think you really just sacrifice perhaps, you know, the conclusion of a main event just to kind of set up somebody running down. Um, but I mean, they have a bigger story to tell. So I do understand. The, the match itself, like I, I thought they worked super hard um, in this and just Darby just... Um... It's 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 crazy when you when you when you watch this. I mean, the one thing I think of when I watch these Derby matches is like, thank God they are not running house shows, and he's out mm. doing even even half of this on a weekly basis, like three or four times a week. I I hope that over time that will uh that will pay dividends. But nonetheless, like it's just you watch this guy, and it's just you, he's also not really doing any sort of indies. No, no, I would want to be preserving this guy because uh, mm-hmm. it's uh. It's insane. Like, if this is a car crash, he's the one ejected from the car in most most yeah. turns. So they continue to beat down Sting while Darby's down. Private Party comes down to join in. So it's six on two. And then the Hardys music hits. The place goes insane. 
Matt chases them off with a chair, loud, hearty chant, and it climaxes with a twist of fate onto Mark Quinn and then Jeff with a swanton bomb. And Jeff just... Like, Quinn is like an inch away from the corner. So Jeff pretty much goes up, and he goes right down on this guy. And, oh, my God, uh, the wind was knocked out of me. I cannot speak to how Mark Quinn felt after taking the swanton. I, I can't imagine it felt too good for Jeff either. You know, I, landing on his upper back, like, on the floor like that. You know, it's, yeah, so some some of these have looked kind of rough for uh, for Jeff. It's a tough move. So there you go. And that, that was the end, and obviously... Uh, we will see what this eventually uh, escalates to. But yeah, I saw people suggesting maybe this will be your your stadium stampede. Uh, it, it would make sense with the people involved. And that that is a matchup Sting's Alley in 2022. It would be, yeah. I do think a dive would, would probably be, you know, uh, expected for Sting off of a stadium. Maybe he'd enter in the helicopter. Wow, okay. What, sir, uh, where is, uh, is where is Double or Nothing? I mean, it's Vegas, so it's... um. So can they do a stadium stampede? You could do it. Um, I mean, maybe I they could, could rent out place. Allegiant Stadium. Maybe uh, <laughs> they could they could do it there, the home of uh, the home of Money in the Bank. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if they'll continue to do stadium stampede types of matches, like outside of Daly's place. You know, without access to to the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium. And I mean, and, and if your audience a... would have the patience for it to watch mm-hmm. something that would. I mean, you could do the combo like they did last year, where some part of it is is taped, and but it then, ended in the arena. Which well, you could still do they that; needed. they could still end end there. Um, you know, you you, you I, I do feel yeah. they'll do it again. It's become such a staple of the company that you just mm. have to be creative in how you do it and know that it's you know not just for a pay per view audience, but also for like a sold out T Mobile arena that you want you want to keep their interest as well. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like it, it, it does. It's called Stadium Stampede, but they don't need a stadium. You know, it just needs some sort of like backstage. Like they break up into into various places, and then you just find little areas backstage in any sort of arena that you could film skits in. Uh, and you know, probably like last year, they would end up in the arena itself. So. They all leave in the helicopter. Drop them off at the T-Mobile Arena. Okay, there you go. Done. So many many options. There you go. That was your edition of Dynamite. Um, a pretty enjoyable show. I thought that um, several of the matches were were very strong. Uh, Danielson and Wheeler Yuta would be my my highest recommendation from this episode. Yeah, I'm loving that whole storyline right now. Um, I think the Blackpool Combat Club and whatever they're doing with Wheeler Yuta is has been very exciting. Seeing CM Punk, you know, be able to wrestle every single week and I think do a very good job of like working. I think a very like tempered but like enjoyable in style for his age it has been has been fun as well we 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 uh we got some good development with wardlow and mjf and whatever's going on with ftr possibly leaving the pinnacle um and yeah any anything any other highlights that you wanted to mention of course tony storm made her debut on this yeah she had, she had a really nice response like they it was like a really good response for her the the most you, you could ask for and i thought she looked good i think she will be an asset to this this women's division um, it, it's interesting as well. No Britt Baker on this show and they are in Pittsburgh in a couple of weeks. I'm curious if they just hold her off until Pittsburgh, um, strategically mm-hmm. knowing she'll get a huge babyface response in, in Pittsburgh. They're there, I think the third week of April. So it'll be interesting okay. to see what, what they, where they go next with, with Britt Baker. Uh, also for next week, they announced a tables match with the Hardys against the butcher and the blade. And then the men's 
uh, half of the Owen Hart Cup will begin and the women's tournament will continue for next week's episode. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, cool. Very cool. Uh, we have some feedback here from forum.postwrestling.com. Our feedback threads are open every single week for patrons of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And actually, before that, I want to maybe highlight some of these super chats here in the chat room. We go first to Rivenblade, who says, Mixed crowd, but a good showing from Storm. He also sends another one later on who says, when he says, A really good show tonight. Mostly clean finishes, promos without interruptions, and video packages that served a purpose. I want more of this. Brian Sterlick sends a super chat. says, Happy Wrestling Weekend, everybody. Another fun dynamite tonight. Thoughts on Sean Rossap entering the clusterfuck? I I wish him uh, good luck. It's it's a it's a it's a competition of endurance. The clusterfuck is. How do you so. prepare for the Invisible Man? Can't. <laughs> or can't? You're right. Yeah, you can't. You know, you can't. Um, how do you prepare prepare for any of them? We'll see. That's on the, that's on the second one, right? That's the one you'll be watching. Belie- yeah, I believe so. So yes, it is. It's you will on, be spared. Uh, it's on fr- late Friday night. Yes, that's it. Yep. I'm trying to keep all these shows uh, in in my mind. How, uh, how late go- do you think? How late do you think tomorrow's going to go? The spring break starts at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Do you think we'll be done that show by midnight? Seven no. matches. Oh God, no, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> don't tell me someone. That. Someone's going to go long. I I don't think they'll probably they'll probably they probably won't have the same window concerns as you know Hammerstein because it's it's not on traditional pay per view, right? So I I <laughs> good luck, man. I think we're just starting at least like one o'clock. Oh, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. I gotta like I gotta be up early on Friday. Oh it's my a goodness. long day. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's just get in the feedback. All right, uh, you want to start, John? Bruce writes, another fun episode. It occurred to me today, Omega, my favorite active wrestler, has been on the shelf for three and a half months, and I barely missed him thanks to the effective rotating of AEW's roster. It was a small part of the show, but the idea that Mark Sterling has been protecting Jade by getting her booked against tomato cans is very interesting. I've long thought that Sterling is in place solely to be dumped to aid Jade's face turn, and this could be a great way to establish Jade's desire to prove herself against the best. Is it time for a face turn for Jade, or would you stay the course? Lastly, I'm I'm glad that Tony Storm is on board. Tony Khan needs to open his wallet and pay for Barracuda by heart. That track is almost as much of a blatant ripoff as DDP's theme. On another note on the Tony Storm front, I thought Excalibur did a great job giving her whole background, especially like her stardom career during that uh that entrance as well, putting into context like who she is for for those that maybe missed the WWE run or were not familiar with that. Hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I Jade, see Jade will, I think, ultimately be a huge baby face, but I don't think that needs to be now. Yeah, I don't think so either. She's still somebody with, a, I think, a great deal of inexperience that I think being a, a heel kind of protects and, and kind of helps. Um, I, I think in order to turn into a babyface, you have to earn the crowd's respect. And I, I think Jade is certainly getting there, but like, you know, I, I think she still has like some rough edges to to work through in terms of in terms of her in ring ability before I think she can survive as a babyface for this very demanding AEW audience. So, um, I I think she's in a good role right now, and like you said, I think it would you know turning on Sterling would be a great way to eventually get there. We get Eric from Barry who says another stupendous dynamite that repeated repetition again this week. <laughs> three instances of performers not supposed to be in the arena showing up and three pile drivers leading to a finish with an attempted fourth in another match. In spite of this, 
Every match was fantastic, and it's nice to see Jay Lethal and Dynamite rotation with another match this week. With the matches we had tonight and what Rampage has advertised for Friday, I'm more excited for what AEW has to offer than WrestleMania this weekend. All right, we go on to David Porges, one of the best Dynamites in the last few months. No real dud segments and a whole bunch of very good to great matches. I know everybody's in a, everybody in AEW has been talking about watching Brett matches, but it seems like Yuta has been watching Brett spitting on Vince replays by how that match ended. I think Andrade has been making great strides and has really honed in on his character, so I was very happy to see him get the win tonight. Do you guys think that AEW should, should consider putting Regal on commentary for Rampage? He's been so great, and his chemistry with Excalibur is really good. I, I would be totally fine with, with Regal being inserted into that rotation. I, I think that would be great, but personally, I would put him on Dynamite. Like, yeah, I know he's got the Blackpool you know, uh, Combat Club, but... I think Taz is great on Rampage, and they kind of fulfill the same role. And I would rather spread the wealth, and you know, maybe possibly move move somebody out from the current Dynamite team for either Taz or Regal. Well, at this point, Tony Schiavone is in about fifteen backstage segments on on the show. Like it's mm-hmm. um, he he seems uh, spread off over quite a lot of of Dynamite. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um. We go to Sal from California who says, I wasn't sold on Wheeler Yuta before, but tonight convinced me that he has the potential to be a star. He showed some great baby face fire and the crowd really seemed to get behind him. I'm looking forward to seeing him finally earn a spot on Regal's crew. Okay, we go to Kate from Montreal. Excellent episode tonight that felt packed without having so much going on that it was hard to follow. There were three examples of guys who lost but still look great in Lethal, Yuta, and Darby. Far better than they would have looked with a DQ or a distraction. It's, it's a great point. Tony Storm is a great addition, and it was heartwarming seeing her reaction to the crowd cheering for her. Did it look like Jeff Hardy legitimately hurt his ribs at the end? He was really clutching them, and there wasn't an in-story purpose to it. That would be awful, so I hope I am wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was not a pretty-looking swanton, so it would not... Like, he just came right down, and, um, you know, hopefully he's fine. Uh, so this one comes from MJ from NJ, who says, This comes from Hangman's letter after winning his championship. Uh, and it says... With the bonus payment that comes with winning the AEW World Championship, Hangman Page will trade in his gas-guzzling truck for an electric vehicle in an effort to reduce planet warming emissions and encourage others to make the switch when they see how badass it looks with steer horns mounted (laughs) on the front or whatever. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Uh, He credits this for surfing on the letter this week with Brian Mann. Keep up the cowboy shit and good. Great, great, great connection, MJ. Um, So look, look at this long-term payoff. The man wins a championship and gets a electric vehicle with steer horns mounted on the front. There's the explanation right there. So Uh, that's, that's really cool. Uh, We got one more super chat here to highlight from young Doge who sends a $2 super chat who says he is enjoying watching John both on this stream and on his interview with Ariel Hawani at the same time. What, what's going on? How are you in two places at once? Oh, um, the same way that uh, William Regal could be in two places at once on, uh, on Friday, potentially. I, gu- I guess it's already up. I didn't even know uh, the, inter- the interview was out yet. But yes, I'm on uh, Ariel Hawani's uh, YouTube channel chatting about uh, post-wrestling and uh, WrestleMania this weekend. So if you want to go give that a watch, um, I guess that, that's up on Ariel Hawani's YouTube channel. Wow, very very busy week. As if the man was not busy enough. I'm watching both. I'm watching you on dual screens right now. It's looking great. So, uh, we we man, <laughs> he's beating us. I have to say, you know, we got about 133 people here. He's got about 200 people watching it. So come on. Uh, 
you know what? I encourage everybody to jump over there. Let's 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 raid the Hawani room. I'm glad this. I'm glad way you're not, you're not mad that I didn't run it by uh post wrestling PR that I was going to go to aerial <laughs> show. Well, we'll have a talk privately and we'll we'll hash things out. Okay. We are going to wrap things up, but uh before you can snap your fingers, we will be back Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, as of now, we do not have a guest scheduled. I think uh, Thursday show, uh, m- maybe someone will drop by. We'll see. But uh, it might just be the two of us uh, preparing for WrestleMania week and going over some of the shows that are happening on Thursday. And uh, Friday, we'll do a big WrestleMania preview on the Post Daily News show. So check out all of that. MCU later dropping on Thursday night for members at postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, tomorrow is the last day of the month. And if you want to jump onto the cafe, uh, you're going to get your entire month's worth uh, over the next couple of days between uh, all of our WrestleMania coverage, MCU later dropping on Thursday night. We've got to rewind away up from this week covering the July 2016 WWE draft. So tons of stuff up on the Post Wrestling Cafe as we speak. So it's a big weekend ahead. We hope many of you will join us and we'll chat with you Thursday right here on the channel at 1 Eastern.